Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Guys, we have a great show tonight, and I'm going to add to the spotlight Dr. Jody because I just need you guys to understand. When I ran into this brother, it hit me, OMG. Not only does this brother get it, but he has a story to tell, a story about not just a topic that's kind of taboo, but a topic for a group of people who don't necessarily embrace the topic. So not only is it mental health in the black community, it is mental health with black men. So I'm excited tonight to have Dr. Jody be here tonight. Dr. Jody, hello, how you doing, brother? Welcome tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you all today. I mean, this is my first time on this podcast and just having the vibe, feeling the vibe is awesome. You were absolutely right in the prep call. This vibe is amazing. So I appreciate it, Calvin. Yeah, well, thank you, man. I was reading somewhere, uh, you know, I got a new word. They call it an excellent vibe. So I'm going just going to clean that, you know, here at Southern Soul. We are excellent vibe. You know, Dr. Jody, you know, I, I want to kind of, I was listening to something you said, and I really appreciate it. I was listening to a recording or something. And you talked about L.A. And you talked about the multicultural dimensions of L.A. And you called it like a salad, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me your illustration of, and then we're going to introduce you because I want you to tell people about who you are, your background, because I don't have a, I'm not going to read your bio. But yeah, I want for you to start with that backdrop, because when you said it, I'm like, OMG, I know this brother get it. You yeah. have L.A. Tell us about L.A., the culture, and how it looks for black people, black and brown people out in L.A., your illustration of the salad. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, and LA, I like to look at it as a salad. You know, in this discussion came up due to the fact that a lot of Black people in LA don't get to experience Black circles. A lot of Black people here in LA are jealous of y'all in the South, in the in the Midwest, because you have to go certain places to see Black people. So um, in certain parts of LA, it's white, Latino, Asian, Black. We're all together, but we're like a salad where the lettuce is separate from the tomato, the tomato is separate from the onion, the avocado, we all separate. I, I prefer a, a situation where we're like a soup, where we're all mixed together, where we we overlap. One of the theories on, I heard someone say, if you think the United States still doesn't have a racial issue, just look at Sunday morning. Whites go to white church, black go to black church, Asians go to Asian church. And it, it's that salad approach where we're together, we're, we're next to each other, but we're not incorporating, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not blending essentially. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, and I know you also described you prefer for it to be more like a soup, right? Where people mm-hmm. just kind of are more mixed in. And, you know, I've been living on this East Coast for a while. I call it the East Coast. I'm in Atlanta, right? Because I'm originally from Texas, right? But it's different, right? It's kind of like how you describe it. It's that salad, right? You got different people, but these people on that side of town, on side, but they don't mix. And I think people take for granted in certain places where you're in what I call Wakanda, right? ATL. <laughs> Or Detroit, and you just see people all over the place, but you, you don't understand this thing called culture. So I appreciate you get it. I'm going to read a little bit about Dr. Jody, just so you guys understand. Dr. Jody Owale has worked with children, adolescents, and adults in various settings. He has a BA in psychology and a master's in marriage and family therapy, both from the University of South California. 
He also has a doctorate in clinical psychology from California School of Professional Psychology in San Diego. Welcome, Dr. Jody. I'm going to call you Dr. Jody because I don't want to mess up your last name, my brother. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Y'all even call me Jody. I got over the doctor title once I started paying student loans. I was like, call me whatever you want. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate the, the love, though. Every time I get a doctor, it makes me think of that bill. Like, oh, you, oh, <laughs> oh, that is so real, you know, because I hadn't yeah. thought about it, but that's, that is so real. Yeah. Jody, tell us about yourself. You know, give us your origin, tell us your origin story, you know, how, you know, you got started, your background, you know, being born in L.A., playing football, becoming, a, you know, a therapist. You know, tell us your story. Walk us through it. Yeah, absolutely. So born in, um, my dad's half, my dad's Nigerian, my mom's Caucasian, right? From born in, born in Mississippi. I'm from Los Angeles. So we grew up, you know, we grew up like a lot of stories in America, broke, we got evicted from multiple homes, grew up in the projects. And my mom has some mental health issues herself. So that, you know, adjusting and having to take care of someone came natural early on for me. So um, yeah, I played football in high school. My plans was to go to the military, to go to the Marines, following my split, my sister's footsteps. But then I got offered a football scholarship. An interesting story, um, when I got the scholarship, I went to the recruiter and said, hey, what do you think I should do? Go play football at USC or go to the Marines? He was like, I don't know. I think the Marines might be a better option. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, ah, you ain't out for my best interest. But um, went to USC, uh, played, uh, played football again. My, my recruiting class was... Uh, insane. They say they compare it to one of the best recruiting classes in the history of college football, Reggie Bush, Lindell White, you know, Chauncey Washington, Steve Smith. So I, I equate some of my academic success to Reggie Bush because the first two weeks of practice, I got the message, I need to go to class. I am not gonna, <laughs> I'm good, but I'm not, I, I'm not going to play this year. I, maybe if we're up by 50, Jody, get in. So I was a running back back in a Reggie Bush and, and then the other depth, the depth of running backs we got. So um, naturally psychology was an interest to me. I got into it. The One of the, one of my friends was like, go, hey, go to the psych one class, go to the intro classes. All the pretty girls are in that class. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> I went for the, for the girls. I stayed for the psychology. You know, it just I feel like the your your profession or, or your passion sometimes finds you. And instead of trying to fit into something that just doesn't work for me, like business or even psychiatry, psychology just felt natural. So I um, went there, got the bachelor's, went to the master's there as well at USC and got the doctorate. So a little bit about myself, my work. Um, a lot of my work started off with inpatient psychiatric facilities, working with people who are dangerous to self, danger to others, or so gravely ill, they can't take care of themselves. And recently, in the past two years, opened my own practice is Ottawa Psychological Services. I'm also a professor teaching um, at East Los Angeles College. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. I just had a two-year-old daughter and trying to work on the second one, but I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> <That's> a <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, thank you for sharing that. And I'll tell you why. Um, in hearing your story, I begin to realize, OMG, I see a lot of my story in your story, right? <laughs> Coming from certain places, experiencing certain things, and then evolving and innovating on that thing, mm -hmm. right? One of my favorite things, I quit telling people my story many years ago, and I tell you guys, just to frame the, the, the backdrop, is, you know, I got to, to one of the best, you know, engineering schools because they're like, oh, tell your story. I'm like, oh, I had the story, and I did this, and I did this. And they're like, cool, we'll give you a, a scholarship to Vanderbilt. And I said, like, oh, this is cool. And then I got a good job at IBM. And then people were like, 
I went to business school and I just say, tell your story. So then I learned one key thing. If you tell institutions your story, then they give you scholarships. Mm-hmm. When I started telling black folks my stories, they started looking down at you. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so now black folks be like, why you don't talk about this? I'm like, Mm-mm, I already know that trick. I ain't telling y'all nothing. Right. Yeah. But I love your story because it shows the story of a person who has experienced some awesome things. I could only imagine what it was like for you um, playing alongside Reggie Bush. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> coming from where you came in, you know, I know some of your story, but you know, I, you know, one of the funny stories I, I heard you tell is uh, what, what's this um, picking up um, toiletries from school so you can take home the family to yeah. me, real experience. Right. But yeah. what it shapes is in the environment of what it takes. I guess I heard people call it grit, right? This mm-hmm. thing that, Hey, I'm going to survive. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to experience some awesomeness, but I thank you for being here and sharing your story because I know it's inspirational because I actually quit telling my story, but kudos to you for still really having the courageousness to tell that story. But for me, I'm like, mm, I ain't telling my story to black folks. They ain't judging me. Right? <laughs> they ain't giving me no scholarship. They just going to judge you. Right. But, yeah. you know, thank you for being you and telling your story. Tell me this. I just want to kind of pivot a little bit, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, what it was like to play football with such a, a huge, you know, recruit. And tell us about some of your, your awards, right? I mean, you actually, you know, can celebrate some great, you know, um, wins, you know, in that experience. Yeah. So my freshman, my freshman year was 2003 to, and I finished 2008, 2007, 2008. Um, we went to five bowl games, four Rose Bowls, one Orange Bowl, three of those were national championships. And um, it, it kind of, one, it was humbling because it lets you, no matter how big your ego gets, you know, it lets you realize that you are not the greatest at everything. And uh, someone once told me, ego is not your amigo. And college football will really <laughs> incorporate that into your thinking. But um, it also taught me, Pete Carroll was our, my, our coach the whole, the whole time I was there. And it taught me discipline. It taught me how to show up on time, how to win, how to lose, how to be respectful. A big part of Pete Carroll's approach was not just being successful on the field, being successful in the classroom, being a, a healthy man. One thing he he um, promoted with us was if if you're with your friend and your friend is messing up and you're not saying anything, you're messing up too. So I'm gonna hold you accountable too if you're in the circles. But um, it was an amazing experience and um, humbling as well. But uh, yeah, a lot of injuries too. <laughs> a lot of injuries. Yeah. yeah. Thank thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the things I love about your story is that you got a chance to actually work in a documentary. Mm-hmm. The saw the the surviving R. Kelly, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, OMG, right? I like you mind sharing with us how you got that experience and what were you thinking to experience that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Oh, go ahead, yeah, go ahead, share, share with us that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off with, with a little side story. I when I when I was in college, I helped a vet, a veterinarian, move his office, and he said, I asked him, I was like, "What's the secret to a successful practice?" And he said. Pick up your phone, answer your phone, return your messages. And I think that's how Dream Hampton just found me. Just I was the psychologist to pick up my phone and return the message. Hey, hey this is Jody Adewale. But um, I think they were looking for a black male's perspective when it comes to dealing with what R. Kelly, dealing with the R. Kelly story, essentially. So um, Dream Hampton reached out to me to come and speak on my perspective regarding males. Uh, male's mental health and how something like this, how so, how this abuse could be perpetrated on other people. So it was an interview, maybe two two sets of three hours each. And I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. I thought it was just going to be something on Lifetime. But when it when when it blew up, people from Nigeria, people from Australia, people from you know Great Britain, sending me messages thanking me. Um, I I feel like 
um, thanking me is kind of, I, I don't like the thing, not necessarily the thanks, but it's kind of like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I shouldn't be getting getting credit for just speaking this, <laughs> standing up and saying, you know, this is not right. This is wrong. You know, so I, I heard a comedian say, I'm tired of people taking credit for things they're supposed to be doing. You know, as a psychologist, if I have this information, I should be sharing it. But yeah, it it, it opened the door to a lot of other places. I mean, in a sense, in, in one direct line, it opened the door for me to be here today. You know, you you found me through something and I got that through something which connected to the Surviving R. Kelly. So if you if you haven't checked it out, check out the Surviving R. Kelly season one and two. Well, you know, thanks for sharing that because you you mentioned a very important topic that I've been thinking about for years, right? And you call it, you know, as humans, we tend to compartmentalize people's negative behavior mm -hmm. if they give us something of value. Mm -hmm. And it really made me think about OJ, Michael Jackson, R. Kelly, and these other celebrities that, you know, fall from grace. And we just struggle, as they say, you still listening to R. Kelly, right? And I'm not trying to get into the politics of it, but the psychology of it is very intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. Please tell us what is it? What does this mean? Why do we struggle, right, to listening to Michael Jackson or R. Kelly's music? I mean, what does psychology say about that? Yeah, so we um, we have many defense mechanisms, um, conscious and unconscious, and they're healthy. Some are healthy, some are not. But we have to daily rationalize our behavior and come to come to grips with it. And there's this concept called cognitive dissonance, and I know this might lead into your next question. But cognitive dissonance is there's an opposing. Uh, there's two opposing emotions. There's two opposing thoughts. Let's say I smoke cigarettes. I know cigarettes causes lung cancer. One of those has to go or else there's just going to be tension. So you either stop smoking or you rationalize, I'm not going to get cancer. So with when it comes to music, like listening to music like R. Kelly, Michael Jackson, OJ, OJ you, you, you don't approve of their behavior, but you still like their product. So one of those has to go. And sometimes you have to rationalize about their behavior. Oh, that doesn't affect me. Oh, it might not be true. Oh, that, that, yeah. Oh, that, that, that was in the past. Let it go. You know, oh, everyone is fallible. So you have to sometimes every, every day we're doing these mental gymnastics and jumping through these mental hoops to deal with dissonance, two opposing thoughts. I think it's okay to, um, I think it's okay to go through this, but sometimes on the grander scheme, like in in legal cases, if the if the judge or the court was giving him a pass because he's R. Kelly, that's a problem. If you want to listen to music, that's okay. I, I get it, but it's um, making sure you're understanding that this person's history, understanding what this person did, yeah, and seeing if you if you feel different about the music at all. Yeah, thank 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 you for sharing that because you know. Um, I didn't struggle with the R. Kelly music, but when that, that Michael Jackson, boy, I was like, wait a minute, you know, that's Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? I, I struggled, right? And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's real, man. I, I, I ain't trying to get into the politics, but it, that that struggle is real. So, so thank you for sharing that because, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people struggle and people get upset, they get emotional, they judge people, they criticize people. But I think a lot of people don't realize there's something happened. There's psychological things that are happening that, you know, and it's okay, right? So, you know, thank, thanks for sharing that. You know, I would like to kind of transition because we entitled the show, uh, you know, Toxic Masculinity, Daddy Issues, and Black Male Mental Health. I just want to kind of start with that intro. What do you, because I want to eventually talk about your work in you know, the Where's Daddy article that you wrote. But mm -hmm. tell me your perspective, right? Being a black male, you know, understanding this landscape what are your, in general, observation or opinion of these topics? Blackmail, mental health, you know, toxic masculinity, 
you know, let's just stop there for that. Let's, let's talk about those for a second. Black male mental health and toxic masculinity. Yeah, Why so, do you so, find that these topics are so important? So in terms of the first one, the black, black male mental health, I think there's becoming a wave or a shift in thinking where black men and black women are starting to see mental health as um, a, a resource as opposed to something run away from. In psychology, mental health has been used as a weapon against so many black people for so many years. There was a disorder called drapetomania in, in, during slavery. And this white psychiatrist came up with this disorder that said, if a slave runs away from his master, he has this insecurity that he's not a good enough slave. So he wants to save his master from the, from the hassle of dealing with them. That's complete BS. But you can see in multiple occasions how individuals and organizations have used mental health as a way of exerting power and authority over black the black, black community. And, and there's some healthy paranoia in our in our community. We, there's a natural distrust of people in authority in our community, which is healthy. But I think some of that is starting to change as more celebrities, more athletes, pe people are starting to have more access to mental health, mental health services. And I think with black men, there's going into this toxic masculinity. I think there's this message that you have to be dominant. You have to be strong. You can't show your emotions ever. You know, you, you got, you got to you keep it all together because not only is the world in a sense, somewhat out to get you, at least here in the United States, but um, I need to, you know, be, I need I need to compensate for some of these challenges that not only in my life, but in, in my family's history and my generation. So I think Black men are starting to be more and more open about checking in with their feelings, understanding their emotions, seeking mental health support. I, 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 there's, there's, such, there's so few Black male therapists or Black male clinicians that it can be hard to, um, for, for someone to find someone that looks like them or, or understands them. But I'm seeing um, Black men start to make the transition to you know, speaking more up about their mental health. One interesting thing, if you listen to Kendrick Lamar's new album, it's a lot, it's a lot talking about mental health. You know, it's talking about seeking a therapist. And the, the day that album dropped, that week I got, I usually get like 10 calls, 15 calls a day. That week I was getting 30, 35 calls a day. Hey, wow. I need a therapist, I need a therapist. And the majority of them were black men. So with these celebrities coming out and speaking about their mental health challenges, it's giving some people permission to do the same. Well, you know, that that is a awesome and beautiful story. I mean, I've always been somewhat of a person that kind of creates my own path. And I think it's from that background that, you know, if mm -hmm. I talk about, right, you know, you discovered, hey, this traditional path obviously ain't working for me. So I got to figure out a way through innovation and grit to create a better life for myself. So one of the things I did is I got into therapy and things early because I would read a self-help book and things like that. So I never saw it as a weakness. But what the thing that I saw is how other people would reject it, right? And mm -hmm. I began to really, you know, dig into books. But don't get me wrong, books is just a start. But, you know, I can, but I often find, like here at Southern Soul, we probably, I don't know, maybe done 10, 15 shows mm -hmm. on mental health. And I kind of listened and I pay attention and I was like, wow, people are still holding back. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, people are still holding back. And yeah. it, it still kind of really kind of surprises me. I'm like, guys, don't. And someone asked me, why are you always doing a show on mental health? I'm like, are you not paying attention <laughs> to what's going on to society? Are you not watching with yeah. all of this stuff going on? We got to talk about this stuff. I would mm -hmm. love for you to introduce us to this topic called the liberation framework. Mm -hmm. and, and I love that because it kind of describes psychology through a different perspective 
that may give people an opportunity to embrace it a little differently. Do you mind breaking that down for us? Yeah, yes, absolutely. So it, uh, traditional psychology, the Freud, the, you know, Albert Ellis, the B.F. Skinner, these older white men and white women, their, their, their approach to a lot of mental health struggles is something's going on inside of you. There's some problem in you. There's some trauma that's there. And liberation framework kind of steps away from that and looks at how marginalization, how structural discrimination, um, all these environmental factors are pulling these symptoms out in you. And it's not necessarily so much a problem with your psyche. It's your body and mind's reaction to the environment around you. For those in, on the call, ask yourself, you know, was there ever a microaggression you, you experienced? How did that make you feel? You know, um, have you been passed up on a, on a promotion? Have you been not have, have, wanting to rent an apartment and someone not rented to you because of your ethnicity? So it's it's more or less not necessarily something's going on inside of you, but your body and mind's reaction to the world around you. We look at this, there's something also called the biopsychosocial model and mental health and medicine really fail to consider the social part of it, the environmental factors that are pulling this out. So I like to, excuse my language here, but I heard someone say, before you diagnose yourself with depression, make sure you're not surrounded by assholes. <laughs> wow, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Context matters, which I heard in psychology is very important. Context yes. matters, OMG. Thanks for sharing that, man, because, you know, it's all about you. It's all about us. So thank you for being you. But that's real, man, because, you know, like you said, it's like you're not the problem. You know, you've actually experienced something, you know, mm -hmm. and I just share it with the audience because, you know, I'm a fan of being vulnerable. I had to learn that. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, another uh, entertainer, you know, said this wise statement that I love it. Right. And I don't know where you got it from, probably in therapy. But he said you can't heal what you don't reveal. Mm -hmm. Right. And you got a lot of people hiding stuff. And I'm like, don't y'all realize we can see it? Y'all think y'all hiding it, yeah. but everybody can see it. They see all, yeah. as as uh, Eddie Murphy say, you see that bone that just came out your mouth, right? Everybody <laughs> can see your baggage. So quit pretending like, you know, you winning by hiding it because we can all see it. Yeah. But I, I, I was talking to you um, about this experience. Something happened, right? And, and I had a was working in this toxic environment. And working in this toxic environment... You know, I went through, I couldn't trust nothing, nobody, because they were literally, right? And, and, and the environment had a history where they did a bunch of layoffs and people were very uncomfortable. They didn't know what they were going to do to survive. So they intentionally became toxic to kind of preserve their own jobs. Hmm. Well, what it meant is if you show up and you're the new kid on the block, they start coming for you. And you're like, I'm just minding my business, right? I, You know, I just want to do my job, right? But they just coming for you. They trying to get you fired. They trying to do all this stuff. So stuff happens. Well, eventually this passes and I go to a new job. So I'm in this new job and now I've developed this whole thing. Don't trust nothing, nobody ever, right, at work. But in this new environment, it's like it's based on building relationship. It's a different culture. And they're like, hey, you know, you're a nice guy. What's going on? Like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, first of all, you act whenever your body shift, you shift just like the a-hole from last time, right? So it's like the stuff happens. And I call it work PTSD. And I just create the phrase because I'm like, something going on. Because I had to speak on the show, and, and I was an expert on PTSD, but he said this. He says, having experienced PTSD, he says it shows up when you're in an environment that's no longer threatening, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. you're in this environment of peace or difference, and all of a sudden this drama is showing up. And, you know, it just really made me think because I had to figure out how to be my best self. And there was nothing wrong with me, but something had happened. And I didn't ask to be in that toxic environment. I didn't ask to experience that stuff, but it was a great experience for me 
to see myself. Anyway, enough about me. I'm just yeah, talking. Absolutely. You know, anything you want to share to that? Because I'm. Yeah, you know. the, 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 there's a there's a book or a, a, a movie called The Body Keeps Score. The body mm-hmm. really remembers the trauma that that happened around it because it that, that's a survival technique. If you um, are walking in the, in you know, on the in Africa and and you hear rustling in the bushes and a lion jumps out and you run, they're good. Next time you hear rustling in the bushes, you know I got to run instead of having to. What's behind this bush? The body needs to keep score of these traumatic events to protect itself. But unfortunately. Um, this can cause anxiety. This can cause depression. This can cause substance abuse. Um, post PTSD, workplace PTSD, as the exact real term that you that you brought up. That's in the mental health field. A trauma gets passed from one job to the next, and you might be on your third, fourth job in meetings, just tense, anxious, having panic attacks, just responding to email and working through some of that by being present and you know processing some of that trauma is important to move forward in your career. There's a huge switch um, towards mental health focused on people in the workplace. I think the pandemic brought to light how much how important mental health is in the workplace and also brought to light how much power employees have over the company. You know, you are a, a, a you are essential to the company and you have more power than than you might be aware of. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I want to talk about your article Where's Daddy and Tamika's so awesome. She's going to drop that in the chat. And she's also going to drop the Buy Us a Coffee campaign, just so you guys know, a quick commercial break, is the work we do is totally volunteer, right? And, you know, we love your support, and people like you are supporting us every single week. So Tamika is going to share with you an opportunity to purchase and buy us a coffee and donate based on what we're bringing to you today. So, Jody, you know, one of the things that you talked about in your article where you um, – uh, where's daddy is this concept, you know, of single parent homes and children's mental health. And to me, it's going to share it in the chat, but I would love for you to share with us. Cause when I read that article, I'm like, OMG, it's mm. like stuff that I knew was true stuff that I experienced, but you know, tell us your thoughts when it comes to black male health, mental health, depression, and what's happening in this context of single parent homes in the context of your where's daddy mm you know, article. One of the worst crimes against the black community has been putting so much pressure on black individuals that it separates the family. During slavery, they would separate moms from children from from dads. To me, that's one of the worst crimes against humanity. And in my dissertation, uh, towards the end of my doctorate, I focused on this idea of uh, um, adult males' perceptions of their fathers. Your father not being there you know, that absence parents you too. It's your perception of that absence. For example, let's say um, your your dad passed away in, in, the, in Iraq for the war and you have a positive perception of him. That perception parents you. Let's say your dad got arrested for some, some, some issues and he's in jail and you have some frustration towards him. That anger parents you too. You know, so in, in the idea in the dissertation was that your, your perception of your absent parent has an impact on your mental health too and your self-awareness. But this article was looking more at sort of biological and mental health related factors associated with only a single parent there. Um, it, I just want to give credit to the single parents out there. I, my wife and I are raising this one child and I don't know how you do it. That is, it is it's insane, you know, but um, and single parents, the research is now looking at, it doesn't, doesn't always have to just be 
mom and dad. It could be dad and grandma. It could be two partners who are the same sex. It, there, there's, the, there's this idea that two parents there really does, um, really does make a difference. Well, our, our, our mind, our, 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 our mental structure early on is set for this idea of a mom and a dad, or at least two parents that are there. So they've shown that, um, research has shown that a lot of African-American Latino communities, young men and young girls who don't have that father there show many more emotional disturbances, risks of depression, risk of substance abuse, risk of anxiety. Um, they've shown that there's been increase in school dropouts with, with young, young people who don't have their children there. Increased sexual behavior, especially among young girls who are, whose father isn't there. Um, trouble with their academics. You see a, a, a increase, I would say a reduction in their self-esteem, but an increased rates of incarceration. And it's not a causal issue, like your dad's not there so you can get arrested, but there is a correlative nature to it. Some of the research also suggests that um, children whose, whose father isn't there are five times more likely to suffer from poverty and the risk of neglect doubles for that child. Also, the risk of accidents, just little little accidents that kids go through triples. So it's not that moms or dads are better. It's not dad is better than mom or anything like that. It's dad provides something to the family that a lot of us don't know about and a lot of us aren't aware about. But it, it, it's essential for Black men to you know, take this fatherhood role on and be okay with it and work through the challenges instead of, um, yeah, yeah, work through the challenges. I, so one of the like sort of biological data research, one of the factors looked at, um, they took these rats and they separated the father for 21 days and they, they assessed the, the rat's brains. And some, one thing they found was the dendrites in the rats. These are neurons, basically the ears of the neurons. The den there were less dendrites and less connection to other, uh, other neurons within the brain. And they also found that these rats were more aggressive when their father, their rat father, was you know gone for 21 days. Com comparing rat research to human research is you know is, is sketchy at best, but there you, you can see that father's presence does something for a child. So I, I really, especially all the African American males that I'm working with in my office, being a parent, what does that mean? Fatherhood, that's something we definitely focus on. You know, uh, thank you for sharing that. And you know, you know, you know, sometimes you hear that cliche is that, you know, when it comes to being dad, you know, the presence, right? It's so important, right? And we live in this complicated world. You know, I'm one of those guys who be like, why don't we celebrate Father's Day like Mother's Day? You know, because I want, I call, just so y'all know, Father's Day for me is now, uh, I call half birthday because my birthday is in December. Father's Day is now half birthday, right? So, but, you know, I like to see fathers get their due. But thanks for sharing that because, you know, I've always, you know, because I, I'm intuitive, right? I can sense things, right? I was like, something, you know, dads bring a certain value that we may not document. So thank you for sharing that. I want to wrap us up because I know we're at time. And if you're in the audience, feel free to type in a few of your questions and we'll get like a couple questions for Dr. Jody. Uh, excuse me, Jody. I want to remind him of them, them loans, y'all, because, you know, it's real. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, what's next for you, my brother? I know you've expressed some awesome work. Like you're in the community now, you're, you're, you know, you're getting that practice, as doctors call it, right? The mm. practice and engaging with people and communities and circles. You've also expressed a desire to work with athletes transitioning out of sports work. And I love that illustration, right? Because I can only think about, hey, you're a celebrity, you're an athlete, you somebody who, quote unquote, as Anchorman would say, kind of a big deal. 
Yeah. You become something different. I'm like, man, that gonna do all kinds of crazy stuff to your psychology. But you know, I I love that. When I heard that, I was like, man, I hope Jody does that. But what's really going on with you? What's next for you? And also, how can people support and follow you? Because I know, you know, you're in high demand, you may not take patients, but I think, you know, you may be, you know, on the internet somewhere. What's the best way people can support and follow you? I'm gonna hint towards maybe a book coming out. I don't know. Tell us, Jody. How can we best support you? What's next for you? So I'll give you the support side first. I have two books on Amazon. One is called Who Can Curly Trust? It's a kid's book explaining confidentiality to kids. Um, just a little caterpillar goes through the therapy, therapy process and becomes a butterfly. And my other book on Amazon is, is, is called um, Absent Fathers. It's about what we've been talking about here. So feel free, check those out if you want. I'll put my Instagram and Twitter in the, in the chat before we go. But for me, the next step is... Um, I, one thing that my practice is myself and I have four employees and patients who just keep coming in and I've had to hire these people just to, you know, meet the, uh, meet the demand. And so one of the things I'm interested in is growing and getting five, six, seven employees just to catch up, just to see all these patients. Um, at first I, my ego was like, oh, everyone wants to see me. No, it's everyone wants to see someone. <laughs> they just need some, some, some help. <laughs> so I have to get check my ego real quick. It's not me. It's the need that's out there. Another, another aspect I'm working towards is trying to assist um, athletes, NFL, college athletes from tr- that transition you were talking about. They were on this pedestal, they were up high, and then now reality hits them. Some of them don't know how to open a bank account. You know, some of them don't don't even know how to, yeah, have a credit card. So ba- basic life skills is something that I've been working with some programs on. I was doing a little work with the LA Rams when they first transitioned here. They used me as a pervert, a preferred vendor, they call it. And so they refer me athletes, they refer me coaches and, and family members. So more of that, but I do have some research projects, but that's going to be in my 50s and 60s when I when I have more time. Last thing on how you could support me. This is, I'm, this is more, more than the books. If you could... Just do right by the people around you. Love someone, smile to them. If you have a family member who's struggling, you know, hey, let's talk. Can I take you to your appointment? You know, can I pick up your medication for you, mom? Those things support therapists. It takes the burden off of us, you know, and not completely burden, but it helps. So I would encourage you just every single day, who's someone I could make an impact on? And I'm talking about a smile or a thank you for this. That's the best way I would say to support me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Jody. I got two questions for you. I'm going to let you go. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for, you know, giving back to the community and just doing your thing, man. We're definitely going to have to figure, a way, figure out a way to do another uh, remix, a collaboration, something, another CD, right? But, you know, a couple questions, right? You know, um, one person talks about, hey, their son's father is absent by choice. Uh, and the son is a really good kid. But, you know, I think it bothers the child. You know, he hasn't seen or talked to his son in probably about four years, and the son is now in middle school. Mm-hmm. You know, should the mother have him go to counseling to see someone since he's processing the rejection, the child that is? Mm-hmm. So a really good thing to do is talk to your son about the option of seeing someone. Because I've had so many kids come to my office and be like, why are you here? Well, I don't know. My mom made me come. I don't know. <laughs> so it's exploring that with him. Hey, this is here if you want it. You know, um, The other part of it is, I would say, connecting him, making sure there are some 
healthy males in his life. It doesn't have to be dad. It could be uncle. It could be coach. It could be, you know, neighbor who takes him out one in a while, once in a while. But I would really encourage you to find some other male, if it's possible, find a male that can have a positive impact. Doesn't have to be every day, every week. It could be once a month. You can go to a baseball game. Um, the other important factor, I would say just something that you can control is make sure you do not badmouth dad in front of the child. You know, you can say facts. This is what happened. That's what happened. But let your son develop his own opinions in his mind um, because that's really, that's really important for his self-concept and self-development. So yes, therapy, you can force him. As, as a parent, you can make a child go to therapy. But giving him that, you know, having that discussion of, hey, this is something that we we, we can utilize if it's ever there, if, it, if you ever want to. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And you got thanks from the audience as well. Tracy says she's continue, considering a PhD in psychology, so she appreciate the gems you dropped. I just want to say thank you. Um, also, I just want to let you guys know we got a second segment tonight. We were able to catch up with the brothers from the, you know, I'm good, bro um, documentary. And while I say thank you to Dr. Jody and let him get back to his life, what I want to say is that thank you for being here. Dr. Jody, thank you for being you. Thank you for being a person who is doing the thing, right? Because as I read, I'm the person who I tell here at Southern Soul, you listen to the interview, but you got to listen between the things that are spoken but not spoken. You got to listen to the statements in between the words, right? And there is so many awesome jewels. So thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for allowing me to chase you down and be like, hey, bro, you got to be on the show. <laughs> and by responding, thank you for letting me to be like, send you a thousand reminders, be like, hey, you're going to be here, right? Because, you know, people, you know, they're accustomed to Southern Soul. They're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Because they're going to hunt you down. Be like, hey, man, we heard you in that Southern Soul. What's the problem, right? You know, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm being silly, but thank, thank you. Yeah. Didn't have to, right? But um, I just want to say thank you for doing the thing and thank you for not just being the person, but doing the things that are required. So we appreciate you. Thank you, Calvin. I really appreciate you. And I just want to say what you're doing here is is amazing. You know, I'm a God for some somehow or some way use the pandemic to get you doing this. And you might not know how many lives you're impacting, but you are. You might not be able to measure, but it's there. So I appreciate you, Calvin. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jody. Up next, guys, we got a second surprise segment. We're going to talk to a couple of brothers tonight out of North Carolina, you know, Bull City. I don't know if it's Bull City. Y'all Bull City? Well, you know, but we're going to talk to some brothers from North Carolina. And just want to remind you guys, you know, the um, Buy Us a Coffee campaign is real. Why? Because the work we do is a lot of work. And you know, I was joking. I was talking to the fundraising committee. I'm like, I ain't never been good at fundraising, whatever. So somebody shared with me the secret. They said, you know, when you do fundraising, you got to pretend to be their grandma. Y'all know how grandma do? She like, well, you know, grandma love you, you know, and I ain't going to always be here with you. But I just love you so much that I know you ain't got time to come check on grandma all the time. So y'all don't make me start my grandma voice. But anyway, Tamika going to drop in the chat. So what we're doing here is, oh, my goodness, we are just getting started. We in season two. We're going to take a break in November. And in November, we're going to, you know, plan season three, which is going to be February to probably September. And we're just going to do bigger, better, greater things. But it's all about you guys. It's all about community. It's all about the things that Dr. Jody is saying is that just because we see people like what they say, all skin folk ain't kin folk or whatever. You know, it is something about this black excellence that we do. 
that we know is very valuable. So we want to keep doing it. So let us know that you appreciate us. We support you and things like that. And we'll definitely be um, in contact with you soon. We'll follow up with an email. So up next is Corbin Charles. What's up, my brothers? How y'all doing? Hey, what's going on? How you feeling? Good, man. Good, man. What y'all think about uh, old Dr. Jody, man? I mean, he got a story to tell, don't he? Man, I wasn't expecting all of that. I know we had a star and I missed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just love his story, man, just because, I mean, if you just think about the whole experience, right, of experiencing, you know, all of this celebrity stuff, right? Right. And then, you know, because think about it. every It happens to all celebrities. Think about it. Even I believe, you know, I love Prince, but I honestly believe when Prince was, you know, getting to a certain season in his life, he felt like, hey, I don't know if I feel like Prince anymore, right? I think it's real, right? When you go from that celebrity status, you know, to, you know, you you human, you always were human, right? But it's different, you know? So my personal belief is I think that's kind of what happened with Prince, right, on his, you know, final thing. So it's real. So I'm glad he's doing that work. You know, t- but I want to kind of talk about you guys tonight, right? Uh, and I'm just going to read something um, to the people just so they can understand. During this conversation, we will discuss the impact of depression on the black male community. The reality is that many black men suffer from depression and do not seek professional help. As Charles Couch would say, we as black men must stop being ashamed and realize that depression is a problem. Seek help. So that this is why they created the documentary. I'm good, bruh. Unmasking black male depression. Welcome, Charles Couch and Corbin Coleman. Welcome, brothers. How y'all doing? Well, man, how are you? Good, 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 man. I, I would love to hear your origin story, man, because I know it's awesome. First of all, tell us about the documentary, because I just want to give people the context, right? And Tamika's going to drop in the chat the documentaries, because I think you guys have two of them. And then the next question I'm going to get into how you guys met and how you guys even got this started. But let's start with the the end first. Tell us about the documentaries that you guys now have out there that people can watch. Can, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start. There's a little delay, though, so that's probably what you're experiencing. Okay. Give me, give me a second. Let me see if this mm-hmm. is better. Corbin, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I can uh, kick it off. So the... The, the name of our film is called I'm Good Bro, Unmasking Black Male Depression. And, and what it discusses that uh, it, it it talks about depression from a male's perspective. And it starts off with uh, Charles telling his story and uh, how he's dealt with depression. And then it goes to the next story is a couple where there was a situational depression that almost led to divorce. And uh, we talk about mass incarceration. We talk about the, the church. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, just this various different types of depression within the documentary. And um, it's done pretty, pretty well. Uh, we released it in uh, October of 2019. And we now have just amassed 20,000 views uh, of the documentary. So so that is great. That is a, that is a number that <laughs> we were excited to hit uh, in, yeah. you know, three years. So, so that is that is a big number for us. We've been in several film festivals uh, for our first film, um, and and we're just excited, you know, how well it's doing, and it's it's still going, you know, to this day. So, so yeah, Chuck, you want to say something? Yeah, is, is is that better now? Yeah, yeah, 
Much okay. Better. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, uh, just kind of piggybacking off what Corbin said, I was initially uh, going to write a book, you know, just kind of about my, you know, struggle with depression and, you know, something I've dealt with probably since about middle school. And, um, and during that time, I mean, Cor Corbin and I used to work together in corporate America. And so we quickly developed a friendship, you know, just started off just talking about sports and stuff and, you know, just kind of developed from there. And then in the midst of that, um, he just hit me with this idea one day. I, I made this uh, video about my son starting kindergarten and, um, you know, how we befriended one of his classmates. Make a long story short, the video kind of went viral. And I just kind of did it on a whim. And Corbin hit me up and was like, yo, man, we need more positive stories like that. So we had these cameras and I was just looking around one day and I said, man, we got all this equipment. I said, people would rather watch something than to read it. And Corbin and I, with no experience with making film whatsoever, we just kind of just kind of stepped out on faith, and um, and, and we did this documentary. And you know, like we like to say, you know, it just kind of grew legs. It just grew legs and just kind of blew up. I mean, and like Corbin said, you know, it's it's still making its rounds today. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's what happened. Awesome, awesome. You know, I, I want to hear. I want to get into the documentary, but before we get into the documentary, Corbin, you know, tell us about what you saw when you saw this post on Facebook that went viral, right? Tell us about the post, what it was about. And I love what Charles was saying. He says, hey, man, I'm just living life. I created a video. I posted on Facebook, but then something happened. Tell us about what happened, Corbin. So uh, like Charles said, it was his son's first day of kindergarten. For all parents out there, we already know how big that is, you know, probably bigger for the parents than it is for the child, you know, to <laughs> realize that they're going to school now and it's a different ball game. So, uh, you know, he uh, posted this video about his son's first day of kindergarten and he tells the story, uh, you know, he's there, his son, you know, uh, you know his mother, uh, his son's name is Jordan, so Jordan's mother was there. Big, big happy moment. So they're taking pictures and, and everything like that. Of course, first day, first day of school, kindergarten. And they look over and there's this little boy who's, you know, as Charles would say, you know, through no judgment or anything like that, he's by himself. And they're just looking over and everything like that. So Charles was like, you know, it's his first day of school too. Not knowing where the little boy's parents were or anything like that. Again, no judgment. So he tell the little boy to come over too. He gets in a picture with them because it's his first day at kindergarten too. Mm -hmm. so when he tells that story, it was just that simple gesture, you know, to be like, hey, you know, it's a, you know, a community thing, you know, a, a village. It takes a village. Right. And, and Chuck, correct me if I'm wrong. When you guys get ready to leave, you know, you tell Jordan, I love you and everything like that. That little boy also told you, I love you, too. I was right. I was I, I hugged Jordan. I said, I love you, buddy. Have a good day and, and turn around to leave. And the little boy just kind of tugs on my shirt. Mind you, I don't know who this kid is, you know, but he just, and he hugged me and he said, I love you. And it just, it just, it broke me, you know? And I was like, man, you know, we could have made his day, you know, because he, I, I, I put my, 
I put my kind of will put my son in his shoes like this is his first day of kindergarten and he's here by himself. And it, you know, and I just kind of noticed him with my peripheral vision. And I was like, hey man, you know, come over here. And then we just taking pictures and and him and my son are still friends. My son is in fifth grade now, and they are still friends to this day. And it just it tugged at my heart. And I, I came home on lunch and made a video about it. And basically the video was just saying, you never know what small gesture can touch somebody, you know? And by the end of the day, he got like well over 10,000 views. And then that's when Corbin called me. And that was really what started for C visuals group. Wow. Wow. I mean, the chat is blowing up. I mean, yeah. OMG. I mean, Dr. Jody was just talking about this. He says, you know, do the thing, right? Yeah. Be supportive, be the community, be the change you seek, right? We're talking about black male depression, right? And the reason why I want to talk about that story, uh, because it creates the framework, the foundation. Sure. Right? Depression don't just show up magically in eighth grade. You know, there's some history, right? This young man could have easily been on the journey. Right. To a tragic life. And what I've learned is that sometimes as children, you know, because children, they always watching. Mm-hmm. There's these certain things. And that was for my story, too. I tell people a lot of times it wasn't these highfalutin people that gave me inspiration for life. It was those kind strangers mm-hmm. who simply gave me the motivation for life. I look at some highfalutin folks. I'm like, y'all ain't worth nothing because, you know, they ain't doing nothing. But it's that... I don't want to use the cliche random acts of kindness, but it's that thing, right? And I can only imagine because I'm sitting here by I'm talking, y'all, because I'm about trying not to tear up because you know, Charles and Chuck they ain't tell me they're gonna tell all of this story. But I'm all right, I'm good. I'm I'm coming back. Three, right? So, but you know, thank y'all for sharing that, right? Sure. Because in the context of toxic masculinity, black male depression, this is real. And it begins to show people, even the mothers out there, where this stuff happens, where it starts. So let's get into the documentary. You know, um, we know where you and Charles met, you know, tell us, you know, about, you know, how you guys ended up, you know, uh, well, no, let's just talk about the documentary. Tell us about the first documentary, you know, give us a framework. People are going to watch it in the second documentary, why y'all decide to do a, a second documentary and who are the people that you think should definitely watch these? Um, so with the first documentary, it was kind of strategic. So we kind of, we put out a, I guess a casting call, if you will, like, like, hey, you know, if you're, you know, a, a black man that has struggled with depression, um, you know, if you are a black woman that, that knows a man that struggled with depression, we're doing a documentary. You know, you don't have to reply on this post. Send us a, you know, message. We're trying to get people to interview. Um, so we got some people to reply, but I think once it kind of set in that. I'm about to, in a way, be exposed. You know, some people say, yeah, I'll do it. And then a couple of days later, it's like, nah, you know, I thought about it. I I don't, I don't want to put myself out like that, which is completely understandable. So I told Corbin, I said, I'm going to tell my story first. Just to get that out the way. You know, I'm going to put myself out on front street tell my story about, you know, how I was, you know, uh, suicidal at one point, um, you know, how I 
you know, since the sixth grade, like I said earlier, you know, I said I knew that there was something off, you know, about my emotions. Uh, while I would go through these extended periods of sadness like that, I could not, you know, I could not describe. And and it wasn't until I was 26 years old that I was finally like, I have to look into this because I can't live like this. So that was 20 years ago. I'm 46 now. Um, and, and I think because I was so um, transparent in that, you know, I, I think that was really the kicker. You know, that was really what let men know, like, it, it's it's funny. I had people watch the documentary that said, Chuck, I've known you for, for decades and I never knew hmm. that you were dealing with that. And I was like, because I was hiding it. Because every time you say, yo, Chuck, you good? I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm good, bro. That was my mask because I knew I wasn't. So that's why we named it that first. Um, and, you know, we just, you know, we talked to, you know, Deron and his wife. We talked to Lamont, um, which is a guy who is four-time felon. He just received his master's going for his doctorate now. Um, you know, we just wanted to shed a light on that and, and to break that stereotype. Because a lot of people, as soon as you say mental health, mental illness especially in the black community you're labeled crazy when everybody has mental health just like everybody has digestive health or i don't know respiratory health your mind is a part of your being so everybody has mental health and just like your lungs can get affected your liver skin whatever so can your mind and a lot of times that is you know because of things you have seen you know, but, you know, us as Black people, we're so accustomed to trauma. We don't realize uh, when it's excessive, specifically Black men. Because you can't even get a Black man to go to a doctor for a checkup. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> hey, hey, man, yeah. I, I you try to be funny, but that is real. Yeah, it's true. You yeah. you know, you can't, we, we won't even go for our yearly physical. So, and, you know, when, when somebody, you know, you got to sit down and tell somebody what's wrong. You know, because we're so predisposed to to not share that stuff and just to hide it, and then, you know, we cover it up with drugs and 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 uh, promiscuity, you know, and alcohol. So we wanted to get that out, and it, you know, it just it, it grew legs. Awesome. So and then you guys had success. So you went to a second, right? So, mm -hmm. like, you know, so. People are going to watch the first, you know, documentary, but then you guys just recently, like what, last week launched, you know, the second documentary that people can watch. Tell us what made you guys go for a part two. Well, actually, we, we launched that, uh, the second film uh, last year. So, okay, around the time, October of 2021. And initially we wanted the second film to be more solution focused. Uh, but, you know, Charles had a great idea in regards to, Let's capture the year 2020. As we know, a lot happened in the year 2020. So what we did was we sort of did like a, a an order, well, not sort of, we did an order of events that occurred starting from January all the way throughout the year. And the first major event that happened was Kobe Bryant. Mm. So we started off with that and just how his death, how it impacted 
people, especially people in our particular age group, because we grew up sort of with Kobe. Yeah. Yeah, Kobe affected the brothers. People don't realize Kobe affected the brothers. Keep right. going. Yeah, so so we seen him coming. We seen him from high school to the NBA. We seen his maturation process, and then after he retired from the NBA, he was on uh, what do they call it? His 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 second season, so to speak, of his life. That's where he was at, and to see it, you know, come short, you know, of that, it, it affected a lot of people. So we started with that. Then we talk about COVID, because that's what happened right after that. COVID hits, and right after uh, COVID. All the civil unrest from Beyonce Taylor, uh, George Floyd, all these different things happened. He had the election that was going on. You know, all these different things came about, and it was just one after the other after the other. We didn't even have time to heal from Kobe passing away and, and started seeing these other things. So these, these were traumatic events, and it seems like we just could not get a break. So that's what the second film is about and how we coped and how we dealt with and the things that we saw and, and not only how it affected black men, but also kids. Right. How it affected kids as well. So, um, and, and, and that one is doing well. So, uh, you know, we were in the Charlotte Black Film Festival with, with that one uh, this past June. Uh, so, and, and it did, it was uh, received well at the film festival. So, so that's what the second one is about. Uh, so. Awesome, awesome. We Thanks for sharing. Up for that. We could put the link up for that one as well. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, Tamika should be able to find it if you just drop the name, she'll she'll find it. So so thank you for sharing that because you know, it really makes me think because, you know, you write these this series of unfortunate events, right, as they would call it, were mm -hmm. happening. And before that was Nipsey, right? I mean, it was like Nipsey, yeah. Kobe, you know, COVID. And you know, and, and what people don't realize about documenting our digital stories is uh, 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 someone was said is that, you know, history is written by, you know, you know, the person who writes or controls the pens. You know, if a lion creates history, then what happened to, you know, the gazelle, right? So, but the point is, I think it's so important that we document our stories. Right. Because if we don't document our stories, then trust me, who will, right? And that's why we here at Southern Soul is like, if we don't tell our stories, then who will? They're going to tell a story, but it's going to be all kind of washed. It's going to be red, yellow, blue, 31 flavors of washed by the time they're done with it. So I appreciate you guys for telling that story because I know it's true. I know what it was like to talk to black men during this time frame and to see this roller coaster of emotions, right? Of, of, of I always tell people, like, don't forget black men are human. Because a lot of stuff, the previous topic, toxic masculinity, yes, we lived during a time where black men aren't even allowed the opportunity to be human. What's a human? Well, we're we not perfect. We got emotions. We make mistakes. You know, human stuff. We ain't right. given that privilege, right? So for you guys to be able to document that in a consistent way, kudos to you guys. You know, I kind of want to talk about, you know, what's next for you guys. And we're going to do a few questions um, for the audience. And then I'm going to play some of my daddy's favorite records. And actually, my favorite records. I was blaming on my daddy. But, <laughs> you know, you know, what do you guys, being solution-focused, suggest as a recommendation of what black men can do differently or better when it comes, and not just black men, the people who love them. I like to say the aunties, the sisters, the mamas, you know what people, them people who love them or black brothers, you know, a black man, them people, not them other people, but the people who love them or black men. What do you guys, what advice do you guys suggest 
that black men and these people who love black men can better do to support black men, black male mental health? Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go, Corbin. I think, I think one of the main things, um, one of the main issues within the black community, as far as um, from black women to black men, and this is not all because, you know, I, I can honestly say that I have a phenomenal fiance who one thing about her is that she she allows me to be vulnerable and i think vulner, vulnerability has been stigmatized as a weakness in the black community when actually being vulnerable is a strength because you're you basically you're exposing yourself and a lot of times you know uh, black men we don't we don't have that privilege like you said just to be human and say, look, things are not good. You know, we're, we're just expected to be these, you know, these supermen, um, you know, that, that can't say, you know, I have weaknesses, you know, I'm struggling in this area, you know, or I'm hurting, you know, it's, I, it's one of, um, I can't remember who said it, but it, it you know, it's, it, it says something to the effect of it's easier to say my tooth aches than to say my heart is broken hmm. because you can explain the toothache. It's hard to explain a broken heart. And, and so it's a lot of black men walking around with broken hearts. And I'm not just talking about from, you know, relationships. I mean, you know, black men get their heart broke every day, you know, just, you know, corporate America, just being in society. And so, you know, we, we've gotten to this place where, you know, it's hard. So I, I would say you, you allow Black men to expose themselves to you, expose their hearts to you, expose their weaknesses to you, and don't judge them. And one thing I always say, a person, if you ask a person, specifically a Black man, what's wrong, and they say, I don't know, believe them. Because a lot of times they don't. They can't explain what they're going through. So... It has to be that trust there, for sure. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you, uh, Charles. Corbin, what are your thoughts? Anything you want to add to that? Or what's your perspective of what Black men and the women who love them can better do to do differently to support Black male mental health? He pretty much hit the nail on the head. You know, just allow, you know, us to be vulnerable uh, without judgment. Um, and, and I think that's one of our biggest fears, you know, especially... <laughs> I'm to be perfectly transparent and honest, one of my biggest fears is, you know, uh, my business being told, you know, if I tell you something <laughs> private, you know, if there's something that's going on with me and the next thing I know is out on social media somewhere or, you or know, at the church friends, right. you know, and people looking at you sideways or at the beauty salon, right. <laughs> you know, sitting in the corner snickering and everything. And you like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so it, it's just, just that, um, is that if I tell you, I, I tell you that, and and my expectation is that you you keep that to, to your best. You know, you, you keep that close to your heart because if I'm that open with you, and 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 you go against that, then it's going to be very difficult for me to share anything yeah. like with you again. I would not be vulnerable with you again, to be perfectly honest. So so that that's one thing, um, and and just be supportive. You know, it, it's. You, I don't know if women realize this, and I heard T.D. Jake say this in a sermon of his, you know, years ago. He said that a woman's words 
and encourage a man to go get the groceries out the car <laughs> in one take. <laughs> he would have every grocery bag on every each bag on each finger. <laughs> if you tell him, oh, look at my baby, look at him, look how strong he is. Yeah. You know, so it's just there's something as simple as that, that, that encouragement. You know, so if you steadily encourage us, and we understand it's a two-way street, we need to encourage you as well. Sure, sure. But it's just simple things like that, and you would get more out of us, you know, if if that encouragement continues, if you allow us to be vulnerable with you and to be our authentic selves. I love it. I love it. They say you can get more done with honey than vinegar any day, and that's what they say. Now, I don't know if it's true. <laughs> you know, thank you guys for sharing that story. And as I wrap up, I want to kind of share with you guys something. We had a relationship show last year, and this brother said this thing. It was so, so, so simple. But I honestly hadn't thought about it until this brother said it. Because we're talking about relationships, and we recently had a show with all women panel. They're talking about relationships. So the sisters know we cover balanced topics here, so they give you your support. And even before then, we had all panel on relationships and nothing but guys. But this is what the guy said. And he says, well, I don't know if you guys understand. But when it comes to relationships, men need to feel safe. And everybody like, huh? Something so simple as brothers need to feel safe. Mm -hmm. In our society, people are like, huh, what? What you mean, brother, need to feel safe? Well, if he think you're going to gossip his business, if he think, you know, you don't, you ain't listening when he tell you he don't know, if he feels like you here today, gone tomorrow, a brother ain't going to feel safe. And that's the whole thing. What it means to be human is to feel safe. But this world we live in may not even give a black man in America a chance to feel safe. I want to read with you because um, I think... Uh, it was Charles that said this. We wear the mask. And as I wrap up, I'm going to play some of my favorite music. And I just want to thank you guys for being here tonight. Thank you guys for doing your work. Thank you, uh, Charles, for, you know, continue to pass that baton and share your story, your testimony. Because I know, brother, there are so many people who need pioneers like you to do what you're continuing to do. Sure. And as you say, we wear the mask. I love, anybody know me, they know I love poems. I got to read this to y'all. Paul Lawrence Dunbar, 1872-1906. We wear the mask. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. The debt we pay to human guile. With torn, bleeding hearts, we smile. And mouth with myriad subtles. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us why we wear the mask. We smile, but oh, great Christ, our cries to thee form tortured souls arise. We sing. But oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Thank you, brothers, for being wow. here tonight. 
thank you for sharing your story. And for you guys who support Southern Soul, thank you guys for giving us an opportunity to be there for you. We look forward to chatting with you guys again soon. Next week, we got an awesome show. We wrapping up a month of spotlighting awesome brothers. Next week, I've been talking about this brother for a while. He is a retired vascular surgeon. And as a retired vascular surgeon, he says, hey, I need to understand that in my legacy, I want the black community to better understand their physical health. He says, as a vascular surgeon who's dealing with, you know, all kinds of blood issues and vascular issues and disease, he says, I can look at you and tell you what your problem is going to be by looking at your parents. He says that his legacy is to normalize, that means make natural for everybody, common sense, family medical history. In addition, we got another speaker who is essentially helping people do that by taking these best practices of black community mental health, mental health, physical health, and making sure that various community centers out there are supporting the black community at getting these messages out there. So y'all, we're going to end the month on a good note, really talking about how we can not only do the thing or talk about the thing, but get to the point where we normalize, meaning make common sense for the next generation, black family medical history. I'm going to groove a little bit for a while. I got a few songs in me, y'all. So if you want to listen, you know, groove out, you know, they dropped in the chat um, their group. I didn't get a chance to talk about the four C visual groups. So Charles uh, uh, Corbin, you know, if there's anything, because I don't know if you guys do consulting services or things like that, but tell us a little bit about your, your group, your consulting. If you guys, you know, I know you guys do your own documentaries. Do you have services that, you know, you guys use or provide a la carte? We have done some films for other people, you know, some uh, like like small, like little average. I can hear you, but you're a little low. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I hear you now. Okay, so we have done some some work for other people, you know, uh, to help promote their business, you know, little small little commercials for them that they want to post on YouTube and things of that nature. We've done some editing for people. Uh, We've done some, what is it? Can we say talk show? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. There's some uh, talk shows for people. So, uh, you know, we we pretty much, you know, do it all. You know, half camera, we'll travel. So. <laughs> and you, where are you guys located? Are you in RDU or Greensboro? Uh, we're both in Raleigh. You're both in Raleigh. Okay. Yes. So they dropped their information in the chat. You know, you guys can follow them at 4C Visuals Group, right? And yes. if you guys looking for some support on consulting service with your audio, video, half camera, will travel and tamika just dropped their um link tree so feel free i'm gonna make sure when i publish this episode i'm also going to link it in there thank you for joining us at southern soul livestream talk show join us weekly at soullivestream.com if you're joining us live we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience